I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We are two landscape designers that have been in the field for well over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we will bring to you our knowledge, our challenges, our stories, lots of great stories, and our foibles, mistakes we've made, which we continue occasionally to do, and anything that we can do to help you create the ultimate outdoor living environment. That's right. And um, just so you know, when we get clearer, and probably in the spring of of the COVID um What's been going on with COVID? Both Michael and I would like to bring in others, uh, experts in the field, and also go into the field and talk to others. So we've kept you entertained, hopefully, for the last year and a half. But um, just so you don't start worrying that all you're going to hear is us, we do have plans to to talk with others and bring in more people in. But you know, between what we've had to go through with COVID and the amount of work, it's been unbelievable so here we are it's just the two of us and hopefully that's good enough good and has been good enough kept you amused and if not bored <laughs> right right well um we're calling this particular show climbing things and i was thinking about this as a topic as i was dealing with my climbing rows and um, because of the long summer, the heat, the amount of work, I just let it go. And climbing roses or climbing anything, when you let them go, they can literally uh, tap you on the shoulder when you're turned around because they grow that quickly. And especially if you put a variety that can, uh, like a Floribunda rose, which blooms constantly, um, they'll climb and they'll fill in like a trellis, an arbor, a fence, but they'll continue to bloom and they're just magnificent. They are magnificent. I have um, what's called a Cecil Bruner, and it's a beautiful rose, although it only blooms in the spring. But when it does bloom, there's small blooms. There's uh, several hundred. I mean, it's really beautiful. But the rest of the year, it's green and it gets massive. I mean, some of the you know some of the ones I cut, the the canes, they had to be over ten feet, and they were going up into the tree. So. Um, uh, you know, actually, if you have a tree that doesn't look so great, if you do plant a, cli- a climbing rose at the base, it's a great trellis for that. If if you, you know, if you want to infuse your, your tree with a rose. If not, we're going to talk a little bit about pruning. Right. And the thing about climbing things are a lot of times you'll have a blank wall on your house um, or on a building and in between two windows, just a blank space. And you want something dramatic in between to look at. And you don't want to grow anything on the house itself, but that doesn't negate putting in some sort of a uh, trellis or or a structure that you can actually then plant a vine that will grow up independent of the house. And you can even put it a little further away so you can get behind the house to paint. And that way you'll have something interesting that's growing, that's blooming, that may be just green so that you don't have these big open blank walls. Right. And if you're doing something like that, remember vines, you know, you don't plant them and say, okay, grow on this. What they're going to do is they're going to attach themselves to the trellis, but then other streamers are going to come forward. Some will go sideways. So these are the things you trim off. And if you trim it to the trellis, it'll stay on the trellis. But you have to continue to do this because, of course, the plant continues to grow. 
Right. And like one of my favorites because of the smell, because it's it's a vigorous grower, but it's not invasive, would be the star jasmine, Trachyllospermum jasminoides. What I like about it is it's an evergreen vine. It does. It's not it. It grows it grows relatively fast, but not like something like, which we'll talk about, like a potato vine that literally grows so thick and fast that you're just whacking it back with a machete. Um, the star jasmine is much easier to take to, uh, to control, and it has this white perfumey flower, the ja- jasmine flower, that is just amazing when it blooms. It is. Um, the jasmine family is quite large. You can get the uh, different varieties in yellow and white. Um, as beautiful as it is, I find um, I sneeze around it in the spring. <laughs> it's really a lovely smell. But if you're at all allergic, um, you know, that's something to think about before you plant it. Right. Yeah. And star jasmine is also a great ground cover. So you could buy it staked, which has a wooden stake for climbing, or you could buy it in one gallons and plant it um, with with a lot of it and fill in a hole. Let's say you have a strip along the ground that's only one or two feet wide or three feet wide. It's a great ground cover. It'll, it'll get, you know, it'll puff up to a couple of feet high, but it is uh, kind of a trailing shrubby thing. And, and it's lovely when it blooms if you're not allergic to it. I love it. And, and it will take more shade than a lot of the other vines and it'll continue to bloom. It will. I, um, when I was, so when I prune my rose, I have a pair of leather gloves specifically for roses that reach my elbow. And let me tell you, if you have a climbing rose, you want to get a pair of these gloves because that way it will keep the swearing level down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. I, uh, you know, I used to carefully try to prune it every time I got hooked. Oh my God. You'd think I'd had Tourette's. It was really something. But, um, you know, roses, they're beautiful, but they do have thorns. And when you're dealing with a climber, this is, these are roses in particular I'm talking about, um, they tend, the roses not only catch can catch on you, but they catch on other branches. They're, it's, it, they're pretty difficult to, um, you know, just cut and pull down. You have, to, you have to protect yourself and protect your eyes and, um, and go at it. Now, for roses, generally pruning is done more Oh, late December, January, even into February. But with the climber, they get so crazy and you will not kill it. I promise you. I mean, unless, of course, you take a saw to it. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, they they um, one of the things that are really nice about them and yours is is a spring bloomer. I have a white iceberg, um, which actually it's one of the climbing varieties and it blooms up until wintertime, nine months out of the year, and it continues to bloom and bloom and bloom, which is absolutely wonderful. But again, you have the thorns. Yeah, you have the thorns. But, you know, the only rose, I mean, uh, there are other roses that are thornless. Um, One is the, um, uh, oh. Banksy rose. The Banksy rose, yeah. So it's uh, that the common name is Lady Banks, and it comes in a white or a little yellow. They're absolutely stunning. Again, they're spring bloomers. Um, years ago, I'd read up in them, and the largest one back then in existence covered 2,000 square feet. So you have to have a good-sized trellis or structure to handle um, a vine like that, a rose like that. Although there are other vines that are even bigger. Let's, take, let's, let's talk about ivy and wisteria. 
Yes, I'll I'll go the Wisteria route. Ivy is like rat haven. Um, <laughs> Wisteria is. is a wonderful. In fact, in Northern California, if any of you listeners happen to get a chance to go to the Bay Area, there's a place in Woodside called Filoli, and uh, they actually uh, have in the spring. It I know you've been there in the spring. Yeah, they have Wisteria growing up the building. The, the front of the building, the side of the building, and it is when it's in bloom, it has these long panicles of purple blossoms. It is probably one of the most striking, gorgeous, incredible, colorful, beautiful vine, but very strong and very, very invasive. Right. And, but let me tell you, there are teams of gardeners and even um, people studying gardening that are on the cruise there. Filoli, I want to spell that for you. It's F as in Frank, I L. O-L-I, Filoli Gardens, look it up. It's beautiful. Woodside, California is just above Palo Alto. Yes. And the building that Michael's talking about that the Wisteria is on is a building from, when do you think that was built? Early 1900s or late 1800s? I think the 1924, 1923. Or even later. Okay, because yeah. the, the, the man that uh, built that, the family, he also owned Empire Mines and right. the... Um, Matson lines, the uh, the ships that went between Hawaii and and uh, well all over the world. So that mansion is you can walk through it as the gardens are fabulous, but you could also walk through this beautiful home. So when you when Michael talks about the wisteria growing up the walls, we're not talking about a little production home here. <laughs> we're talking right, about and it's the, born, the it was the Bourne family, B O U R N E, uh, uh, spectacular. The gardens are spectacular, the mansion spectacular. But I will tell you, there is nothing more striking when you drive up there and the wisteria is in bloom. It's like it's a wow. But if you're planning on planting wisteria, especially on some sort of a shade structure or an arbor, you better plan on using steel because um, wood structure, the wisteria is so hardy and so strong that it'll destroy any wood structure you put it on. It will. It, it grows a trunk like a small tree. And not only that, again, you can't just plant wisteria and expect it to do what you want it to do over the arbor. It needs trimming and it yes, is yes. and um, it does have these long bean shaped pods at a certain time of the year. So, you know, there's maintenance to wisteria. It's um, it is magical and it's it's just absolutely in the spring a showstopper. However, you do have to train it. And um, I, there's a house around the corner that for years they've trained it along just the front edge of the house. And it looks absolutely beautiful in the spring, but it's work. So know that. As, I mean, people love wisteria. And then I really question them. Um, are you willing to do what it takes to, you know, keep this? Right. And talking about stories, my mom, um, she's passed now, but um, she had 35, 40 foot redwood trees and she had planted wisteria on her fence. But she did not take care of it and didn't prune it. And what happened was all of a sudden the wisteria started growing in the redwood trees. The wisteria had grown up the, the center of several of the trees, um, 40 feet tall, and it looked like the redwoods were blooming. And it got so heavy and thick that, what, that in one storm it actually fell, which means it topped one of the redwood trees broke in half because of the weight of the wisteria, and um, which was really a shame. But as I said, 
as Roberta said, you have to prune this, you have to maintain it. One little little tidbit, if you want it to bloom more than once, it does get these beans on it, these, these uh, seed pods. If you cut the seed pod off, it continues to bloom, trying to set more seeds because the, the blooms turn into the seed pods. And if you cut them off, it'll continue to bloom. Okay. Well, you know, another vine that people think is just magical and beautiful is uh, the botanical name is Ipomea, better known as Morning Glory. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. There was a book. Um, I don't remember when it was written, but there was a book about, a, about um, uh, it was kind of an adventure, adventure book about um, going to an island where these plants take over and everything. I don't even remember the name anymore, but that's Morning Glory Vine. It yep. is the most, when it blooms, it's these gorgeous, magical, purple, um, tube-shaped um, flowers. It, yeah, uh-huh. It's just, it's gorgeous. But um, it's it's going to, I mean, I've seen uh, telephone poles with it all the way up, all the yeah. way up the top. The only saving grace for us in Northern California is it gets cold enough, we'll get 30 degrees or below, and the pomia is frost tender, so it'll die back. If not... Planting a morning glory, um, a morning glory vine, it would literally take over your roof, your house, your trees, your driveway. I mean, your house would be covered in morning glory vines if it had, if it didn't die back for in the winter time. Because I have never seen anything as invasive. Yeah, even if it dies back, it has um, these little seeds that yes. that you know, if you even touch it, they're going to burst and get into the ground. You know, I. And you could have it, and you can have it happily. But again, you need to keep it in check, like any vine. These are climbing things, and climbing things, they need to be uh, kept in their place or kept onto the structure that you put put them there for. I also another vine that I love, and in many climates, for people that are listening that live all over, bougainvillea. Bougainvillea is oh. my favorite things because the of the the vibrancy of the blooms or what you think is a bloom it's actually a leaf it's called the bract but anyway they come in red they come in purple they come in orange they come in in coral they come in white. white yeah what i love about them is that the it looks like it's blooming but the the color on them you can go to the middle of the desert they like they love heat Hotter it gets, the, the the more vigorous it grows. The only thing that they don't like is cold weather. But I will tell you that that I wanted some at my house. I don't know if you noticed it, but um, I planted. I went because I was afraid it gets too cold in our climate. So I didn't want to spend a lot of money. So is it along the side of your house? Yes, and it's also along the back fence. Oh, okay. And so what I did was I bought. Um, one gallons that were on sale at Home Depot, they were $2.50, and I bought like 10 of them and planted them all along the back and all along the side. I even have it in the front of the house, thinking, you know what, if they die, what am I losing? Two fifty, And they are thriving. They well, are not only taking over the fence, but the ones in the front, of course, you couldn't see because there were too many decorations. They've grown up to the top. I'm going to train it around the garage doors. They're just unbelievable. Well, you know, it used to be here in Sacramento, in Northern California, that if you were going to grow bougainvillea, you had to cover it in the winter. But because of climate change and we're not dropping to those temperatures, um, they pretty much stay hardy all year. But it yes. used to be that we used to uh, 
before LED Christmas lights, people would put their little warm Christmas lights on them to keep them warm. But um, there is the chance, you know, at any time that we will go into a freeze and then you could lose them. So it, it wasn't something that I recommended unless people, again, wanted to take care of it. But again, it's, you know, we're warming. And so it, it's something that's viable now. But they do not vine like normal uh, some of the other vining plants and kind of like climbing roses too. They have these long canes that come out right. and they have very sharp thorns. So, oh yeah. Yeah. You have to weave them through. And again, when they stick out in the wrong direction, cut it off. You know, you, right. you really need what to. What I found is to get it to grow up the garage wall. Cause it's, it's a blank wall is I actually took ice screws, uh, put it into the, uh, into the um, wood of the, uh, the siding and then ran wires and then as the wisteria, as the bougainvillea grows, I'll weave it behind it so it, it doesn't flop off onto the driveway. But you're right, you start getting some canes just kind of growing out in front of the dry garage door and you whack them off. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of that, um, a lot of people, we have what's called um, the good neighbor fence. So one section, one seven or eight foot section will be nice and smooth on your side. And the next seven, eight section will show the rails, right? That's called a good neighbor. That means- yes. Every other section is good for them and one's good for you. If you're climbing, if you want to get a vine growing on the fence, you know, something that's not going to take the fence down. Um, I use eye hooks, just like you were talking about, small eye hooks and like a picture wire frame. And what I do is I zigzag it from one side, one post to the other all the way down. And so if you're growing something like um, a clematis or, or a potato vine, a potato vine's not a heavy trunked vine. Um, it's an easy way without buying a trellis, you know, if you want to cover the fence and um, and and just do it with picture wire and eye hooks. And so that's an easy one. That's not something you'd use for wisteria or um, trumpet vine, you know, something that's going to get really heavy. But for a light vine, um, that works really well. So you don't have to. I think we should talk about trumpet vine. There yep. are so many different varieties and colors of trumpet vine. There are some evergreen trumpet vines, and then there are some that lose their leaves in the wintertime trumpet vine. And colors can go anywhere from lavender or purple all the way to orange or red. Yeah, the the, the purple um, is more of an evergreen. I, I grow that. And the right. purples and the reds and the yellows. And then there's another vine called bignonia, B-I-G-O-N-I-A, that is a form of that as well. And um, they have big, well, coral on one of them, trumpet flowers, but it is one of the favorite flowers for hummingbirds. And if you, so if you want hummingbirds, that's a vine that you might want to have. So, I mean, you know, as we're starting to go through these different things, people don't have to feel like, oh, my God, there's only one or two kinds of climbing vine. There are so many different ones and that give you all different effects. Um, from very vibrant colors to very muted colors to some vines that like creeping fig, ficus pumula or ficus repens, that all you grow it for is the leaf. And the, the, the well, now you want to cover the wall. Yes, exactly. So instead of having a blank wall, it actually attaches itself to the wall, goes up, it has no flowers, and basically you're growing it for the interest of the leaf and the texture. 
Right. And you don't want to put that in full sun, but it will, you know, it'll cover an ugly like cement wall and also cover a nice stucco wall as well. If you put it on the house, it's going to cover your stucco house. And if you do need to repaint, it's not easy to get off. So, right. And for those people that think about, you know, if they think about the Ivy League schools, they yep. were named that because um, they're covered. A lot of the old brick buildings were covered in ivy, but it well, wasn't a true ivy ivy like you're thinking of. It yeah. was Boston ivy or Virginia creeper. Yeah, either one, which is um, uh, uh, tricuspidata. Um, I forgot. Anyway, it's it's a beautiful vine. Parthenosis is tricuspidata. Thank you. It can it could grow up to 50 feet. I mean, these are on these old buildings, but I'll tell you in the fall in Europe, Germany and back east, it goes vibrantly red maroon and it's stunning. Spectacular. And that's where the old saying, a little tidbit of things, when they talk about the Ivy League schools, they were they have the Virginia creeper or the Boston Ivy growing all over the brick walls or the stone walls. And that's it, it's it's kind of when they coined the expression. Ivy League or or the, the Ivy League schools. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if you want to brag that your kid goes to an Ivy League school, just just plant some uh, Virginia creeper or Boston Ivy on it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, as Michael said, there's so many different vines and it's always important, first of all, to really research how big, how wide they get. Like the Carolina jasmine that blooms yellow, you'll see that sometimes along the freeway planting for erosion control. You're, you're talking a plant that's going to get 10 to 15 feet wide and, um, and long. So it's not something you want to put in a little flower bed. So you really need to read what these vines do and what type of care that they, um, they need as well. But the flower is spectacular. And that one, they've got some of the hybrids that actually has a double yellow flower. They're so beautiful. I have a, a white, um, I think it's an Arabian jasmine that I have growing up, up a post and over. I, I, I bought a metal pole as like a curtain rod pole from Ikea and it's it's growing on that. Yeah, there's, there's so many different kinds. But some of the jasmines are very frost tender. Some are not. The star jasmine is extremely hardy. Um, but vines are magical and they're romantic, but they are work. So they're work. And while we're talking real quickly, um, we can't forget the clematis vines. Oh, they're so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. An evergreen, which means they don't lose their leaves, like the Armandii, which has a white flower, to the deciduous ones like the Jackmanii, which has the most vibrant purple flower that you it's will ever big. see. It's oh my God. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And so again, um, I, you know, you need, you need trellising for those, but they certainly are beautiful. Uh, clematis, or as my British uh, in-laws say, clematis, um, they like cool, cool, moist uh, root system down below, but then they love sun above. So if, you know, if you have a fence uh, or a trellis area where they're going to get shade on the bottom and lots of sun in the afternoon, it's a perfect place for them. Right, right. I love them. And, you know, every again, as, as Roberta said earlier, you have to research and decide what you want. Do you want dense? Do you want vibrant color? Do you want just texture? How big do you want it to go? I mean, again, you have to do your due diligence. But but the interesting thing is you don't have just one choice. So there's so many different things to choose from and colors and textures. Um, and that's the fun part of it. It's a fun part of it. And, and we didn't talk about the fruiting ones. So there's kiwi and grapes and um, 
those types of vines as well. But um, also know that when you plant anything fruiting, be it a vine, be it a tree, you're going to attract um, little animals that love to eat it, which means rats and squirrels and so on and so forth. So you might not want to have the trellis right next to your house and grow grapevines or, uh, the, you know, the kiwi right there, or else, you know, you might have friendly little visitors that will come eat everything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've almost taken up a half an hour talking about climbing things. And I know we just got the tip of the iceberg, um, you know, about, you know, I'd say the common vines that are used. But like Michael said as well, there are so many different kinds, but there's different kinds for different zones. So always check your growing zone and um, not only check what the plant does, but, you know, YouTube has great uh, videos on people that teach you how to prune and train these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like anything else, you can't just plant it and expect it to do its own thing and not take care of it. Everything that you plant, everything that you you think about, you're going to need to give it some tender, loving care and some maintenance. Otherwise, it's going to take over or it's going to die. That's right. And if you do give it the TLC, um, what you're going to get back is just amazing. You're going to have the most amazing spring blooming or all year blooming. And that's what gardening is about. You know, we, we take care and it gives back and it gives back. And, you know, it's just this beautiful cycle of um, how we interact with nature. I agree. I agree. I'm Roberta Walker. I'm Michael Glassman. And we are Digging Deep. Thanks for joining us.